Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Dr. Psych Mom Show. So before I get into today's topic, I would like to ask everybody again to subscribe because then I can keep creating this quality content. Um, The most recent was about uh, why to initiate sex every day, which was not about uh, somebody took it, which is nice, as you know, that the lower libido partner should do this, which is cool. But I mean, I can say that and say that, but it ain't going to (laughs) happen. So this was about why the higher libido partner should be the one to initiate sex daily for numerous uh, practical reasons related to the relationship, as well as your internal state of mind. Um, And then there's, of course, like 35 others or 34 others, I think, uh, paid episodes that you only get access to if you're a subscriber. So now on to this topic, uh, which was sparked. The idea for this was inspired by a discussion topic in my private Facebook group, which is separate. So don't join my private Facebook group like some people do and then say, where's the podcast? Podcasts are not there. They're on Spotify, on Anchor. So you got to subscribe to that separately. Um, But anyhow, if you want to join my private Facebook group, that's for talking and a private forum with myself and fans that about like psychology topics mostly turn to t- topics about relationships. Anyhow, um, so this was inspired by a thread in that group. And so here's the thing. <laughs> so why do people end up with partners that are bad for them? I discussed this in another podcast. But there's this idea in psychology that pretty much holds true that when you have a way that you think about the world, everybody's heard of confirmation bias. Well, the same thing happens with partners. You're going to subconsciously find somebody who confirms what you think about the world. And if that is um, not available, or if it's not, if the person is not fully what you think about the world, your actions may evoke them to act in ways that then do confirm how you think about the world. So let's take a couple of examples that will resonate, some common examples. So, what if a woman is raised in a situation where she um, is raised to think that all men want is sex and they are dirty? perverts and uh, she should not trust men because really men do not love women. They just use women. Now you would say, what kind of woman uh, would think this? What kind of family upbringing would she have? Well, unfortunately, and very commonly, if one's mother was abused uh, or experienced this sort of treatment by a man, Uh, in her early life, then she will try to train her daughter uh, to not trust men. And she's not doing this to be horrible. She's doing it, in fact, for the opposite reason. She wants to be protective and to moderate her daughter's expectations and to tell her daughter to keep her guard up. So if a woman who was sexually abused as a child has a daughter and uh, she, she wants to protect the daughter, she will frequently tell the daughter not to trust men. And so you could see how this would happen, right? So let's say that this girl who was raised by a mother who taught her not to trust men, let's say she grows up and she gets married. Well, she thinks 
that all men want is sex, right? And she thinks that men are dirty and, and perverted and all that they want is sex. She may not think this consciously, but it's some it's an unspoken inarticulated way that she views the world based on the way that she was raised um, and the things that she heard as a kid about men and about the relationship between men and women vis-a-vis sex, right? Uh, That men are transactional, that they only want one thing, that, you know, you give and give and you don't get anything back. Just all these things about how bad men are and how much they prioritize sex over anything else, right? So this woman, who's she going to marry? Is she going to marry a man who does not um, uh, fit into this to this narrative? No, that that would not even be familiar to her at all. It would make her too. When when people see things that do not fit with their way of viewing the world, this leads to a lot of cognitive dissonance. Um, cognitive dissonance, and you've heard of the term cognitive dissonance reduction, that's when people change the way that they view things or they change the facts on the ground in order to make sense so that uh, things that they see in the world fit the way that they view it. So when this woman, as a younger woman before she's married, let's say she was dating a lot, and let's say that one of the guys waited, like he waited a long time, you know, to have sex with her. Is this necessarily going to be the guy that she picks? No, not at all, in fact, you know. She would be so weirded out because think about it. Her subconscious would be reckoning with the fact that like, holy shit, here's some guy that actually doesn't want sex for me. This means that my mom and like everything I know is like completely wrong because there are guys in the world that don't just want sex. No, that can't be right. That's extremely uncomfortable to think about that everything that I've based my uh, philosophies about men and women on are is wrong. So people really do not like this feeling of uncertainty. That's what's called cognitive dissonance. So she'd probably break up with that guy. And she wouldn't do it for the no sex thing. She'd do it for some other reason. She'd be like, uh, he's not cute enough or he's not funny or something, right? So then she meets a guy, eventually, who really does fit in with the narrative that she uh, learned ever since she was a girl. And right away from the front first date, he's making sex jokes. He is looking at her friends sexually. He's making sex jokes about her friends. Uh, She's heard from other people that he's been unfaithful before. Here we go. This is going to be her imago. So right away, she's attracted to this man. And then, of course, she she, she fits right in with everything that she's ever thought about the world. And so she promptly, uh, you know starts to date him and I'm sure that he's a total scumbag the whole time and he continues to reaffirm and underscore everything that she already thought about men by continuing to behave in in this sort of a way okay so then let's say then that she marries him now here's the interesting part let's say he gets married And he actually changes. Let's say he becomes less of a scumbag because some people do, you know, and they grow up, they mature. Maybe he was in college at that time. Maybe he, he, uh, you know, decides to work harder and settle down in some way. Maybe he has some come to Jesus moment. Maybe he even goes to therapy, right? Who the hell knows what he does? Even if he, this guy, decides to totally not um, be so overly sexualized and make all these crass jokes and whatever, 
she he's still going to want some sex from her and at that point she's still going to be looking at that as indicative of the same thing guys only like sex and what's she probably gonna do she's probably gonna get so annoyed with him every time that he wants sex that she totally cuts off sex she doesn't have a great view of sex anyway well, when she totally cuts off sex, what's going to happen? He's probably going to go back to being a scumbag, even worse than before. He's probably going to, you know, uh, make worse jokes. He's probably going to be nasty. He's probably going to try to push sex sometimes, or he might even cheat on her. So she has, she started out with some version of a guy that she, uh, that really made everything make sense everything that she had learned. Then, even when he stopped being quite so much like that, she elicited it from him again because otherwise her life doesn't make any sense. People do this constantly on a subconscious level. It's called enactment. You're reenacting these scripts that you learned from your childhood and you're bringing them forward into your life now. And that can be very dangerous, obviously, if unexamined because in this case, this woman picked a guy that was bound to make her unhappy and then even if he changes she makes sure that the marriage goes to shit because she acts in ways that will elicit a very negative overly sexualized response in a man by cutting him off from sex right so this woman if she was in therapy would be exploring the roots of why she thinks that and and okay so when you get these people in therapy they'll be like yeah okay I get it my mom trained me to think about sex badly but how do you explain my ex-boyfriend and my ex-husband, and this other guy I dated, all of them were assholes about sex. And you know what? My girlfriends also tell me that all their boyfriends want is sex. Well, I mean, like goes to like, obviously. Like, this woman's going to be friends with women who uh, also believe in the same philosophies as she does because people uh, bond over being similar. But the point is, you got to understand that if you don't find somebody that um, already acts like however you think they're supposed to act like, then you will likely subconsciously be acting in ways to elicit this sort of response. So let's do one for men. So let's say that a man thinks that all women want is um, a workhorse or an ATM. So I write a lot about the workhorse idea. Men who were raised uh, to think that their whole value is in what they can achieve and what they can provide. So who are they going to marry? Right? Who, which girls are they going to be drawn to? They're going to be drawn to girls who are into money. You know, because that's the only thing that makes sense. And in fact, if they meet girls who say they're not into money, these men may think, oh, that's some bullshit. You know, all girls are into money. And these ones are lying. So better just may be with one that's honest about it. At least then we know what's going on fully. So they will eliminate, not consciously again, mostly subconsciously, sometimes consciously, they will eliminate the women that do not fit into this mold. Then they'll get involved with a woman who in fact does care a lot about money and proceed to get into a conflictual interaction with her. Even if she decides that she cares less about money, he may still think that she cares mostly about money and interact in a very defensive um kind of a sardonic style around money, you know, like acting as though this is all that she wants until there is just endless conflict in the marriage And also, remember that if he kind of acts like a jerk because he's on the defensive all the time, then she, the woman, will start to think, oh, goddamn, the only thing he is good for is money, you know, because he's not nice. 
you know, and he's really not loving. He doesn't seem to respect me very much. He's always kind of giving me the side eye. He's not really nice to be with. What does he do? I guess he does give a paycheck. So this here's where this man has created this situation by being emotionally avoidant and like not trusting the woman's intentions. A, picking a woman that did care more about money than average, right? And then B, not even trusting that her love for him could grow and change in any way and keeping himself kind of um, in reserve or, or keeping his emotions too tightly, you know, close to his chest and not opening up and being vulnerable, then she does feel lonely and then really she does spend money and she does think, all right, well, at least he does have a paycheck, you know, because that's all that he's really bringing to the table because of these trust issues. So these are two examples, one for each gender that can hopefully make you really think and project whatever it is that you think that you may be dealing with and your subconscious biases uh, that you learned from childhood childhood to think about how these are potentially sabotaging your current relationship, right? And so what would you do about it is you would really try to go through it and think, what are the ways that I was learned to, um, trained to think about uh, relationships with the opposite sex, relationships in general, uh, trust, intimacy, uh, what men and women want from one another within the context of an intimate relationship, etc. What are the negative things that I learned, right? And then how did I both pick somebody that made reenactment more likely and then and this is like the least flattering way to think about yourself but really the most important step what am I currently doing that elicits this behavior that I say I hate so much and I do hate it but it's so familiar to me what am I currently doing to elicit this behavior and make it in, in fact more likely that I continue to think in the same negative ways about the world so what could another one be so like if, if let's say somebody of either gender, right, is raised to think they're raised in a very conflictual home and so they learn basically that uh, marriage is basically fighting and discord and unhappiness. So doesn't take a genius to realize how you could easily replicate that situation subconsciously. You know, you uh, wait until you're courting somebody and dating somebody that uh, fights with you. They fight with you over stuff. They argue. And then for some reason, this is just the person that you decide you're so attracted to that you can't live without. When meanwhile, you may have had other great relationships with very calm people. But then for some reason, obviously, this is what you are subconsciously drawn to because it's what's familiar to you, what makes your life make sense, as I'm explaining. Uh, You just happen to marry the one with whom you have toxic conflict on the regular. And then what's so interesting is even again, if this person decides at some point, maybe through their own therapy, that they don't want to fight so much with you, you keep it going. You keep picking the fights because otherwise nothing really makes sense. People will say, but why, why am I still operating in these same ways like why aren't I over my childhood okay maybe I was trained these things as a child but I'm like 40 years old now why uh, do I still think these in these ways would you think if you trained a dog in its first year of life to like fear humans would you think that could just be untrained no you were trained on a very deep level to 
distrust relationships in a very uh, core way. How does that go away without an extreme amount of attention and effort? It doesn't. And that's what you would be doing in therapy. And if anybody uh, listening to this does not believe that therapy is useful, I mean, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast, (laughs) but I mean, therapy can be very transformative and this is why, because you can finally, like, it's like looking behind the wizard and the Wizard of Oz and seeing, oh my God, this is why I keep sabotaging myself. This is why my relationship is how it is. It's me too. It's not just my terrible partner. I am setting up this situation where I'm failing and there may be other situations in which I wouldn't fail and my same situation I may be able to transform if I got rid of these outdated scripts about the way that the world works, which are really doing me disservices over and over and over. All right, so hopefully you find that um, interesting. And if you are listening to this with a partner, you can say what are the ways that you were raised to view relationships for better and for worse. Let's focus on for worse because for better is already good. (laughs) Leave well enough alone, right? Um, But what were the bad ways? Many are about sex, about money, about trust, right, about closeness. Many people were raised to think that, uh, for example, um, partners will always leave you because, um, you know, the father left the mother or whatever, or people are never there for you when you need them because a parent was substance abusing or, or a workaholic or whatever else, uh, in, and, and anything else. So think about those things and then think about are there ways that you expect these patterns to happen in your current relationship and that you even create them. You know, so for example, a woman who thinks that her husband is always never going to be there for her because her mother was always lonely while her father worked, um, you know, three jobs and then turned out also had an affair and, you know, just basically was never around. So how may this woman be recreating this? Well, A, she gets an emotionally avoidant kind of guy and then B, she picks at him and nags at him constantly so that he doesn't want to come home. <laughs> so, so a, a, you know, voila, the situation is recreated. And if people can understand their own part in recreating these toxic dynamics, then they can certainly intervene. Awareness is really uh, almost 90% of the battle. But I mean, you know, the battle is not won without that last 10% of behavior change. But awareness is very big. All right, hopefully this gave you something to think about. And my next one, my next podcast, I'm going to talk about the role of uh, self-esteem in originally picking a partner. And then when people get upset that the partner is who uh, is like the only person they could have picked given how low their self-esteem was at the time, but now they don't like that partner anymore because their self-esteem is higher, which is something actually I, I can link to a post that I had because somebody wrote in about this, but it's something that I see all the time when people feel they've outgrown a partner, um, but they're blaming the partner. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic and we could pick up there next time. Have a great night, everybody.